Welcome to Social Sessions. Today I am joined with one of Scotland's best actors. He has worked with Bruce Willis, Tom Hardy and many more amazing actors. He's one of the nicest, most grounded people I have ever known. He is the founder of the humanitarian charity Spirit Aid and all I can say is I'm blessed to know him. He is just an all-round good guy and one of life's beautiful human beings. Welcome David, how are you? I'm good. Who are you talking about? <laughs> I don't recognise that guy. <laughs> I'm good, thanks, Sean. Um, so basically, what um, I'm going to do is just kind of take you back to your, your childhood, David, uh -huh. just growing up in Glasgow. Um, so you were kind of brought up in Brighton to start with. How was that? Well, I spent the first two years of my life on my granny's sofa. Uh, so when I was two, we moved to Bridge. That was in uh, Rockhill. Then we got a room and kitchen in Dalmanock Road in Bridgeton, stones throw for Celtic Park. Um, and outside Lavi, well, there's a brilliant wee guy who got, got to tell this lovely story. So you've got a room and kitchen on one side of the land and a room and kitchen on the other, and you're a single end in the middle. Right. And in there lived Mr. Giaconelli. We, we assumed an Italian guy. He wore a wee black suit every day, wee hat, wee, wee flat brim, tiny, tiny wee guy. Me and my brother were fascinated by him. He never <laughs> opened his mouth. He talking Italian. Uh, so we'd see him going to his work with his wee briefcase, he'd come in at the end of the day, and then when we were sitting there having my tea, we would hear bang, 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 bang. We thought, what the hell was that? Anyway, we never got to know what it was. About a year later, my mum, I came back from school, my wee brother wasn't at school yet, and she says, guys, Mr. Jack and Ellie's dead, come in and see this. Walked into his room, and every single square inch of his room, the roof, the walls, every single was covered in flattened tin cans. Wow. He would get his tea, he'd wash out the can, he'd flatten it with a hammer, get a big two-inch nail, put it right through the middle. He was building himself a cell of metal. Where did the thing that came for maybe like um, a prisoner of war or something? Must maybe? have been. We never knew anything about him, Sean, which is such a... I wanted to do a wee movie about Mr. Giaconelli, just a wee short movie. That'd be brilliant. Maybe give him a wee backstory or something <laughs> and why he imprisoned himself in tin cans. Extra just, I mean, for a, for a boy of five, it was like, shit, what's this? Did it look like a? Did it look like a prison cell? Did it look? Was, it, was that what it looked like? Just like a shiny steel box, an aluminium box. You taking all the covers off, you know, all the paper and Aye. stuff, off the tins of beans and soup and stuff. Washed them, flattened them, hammered them into the wall. That's mental, isn't it? Yeah, that'd be good to do a wee film of that. Be <laughs> I'm playing Mister Jack and Ellie. <laughs> <laughs> Aye, then we went to the drum. Then my ma was she's uh, I mean she was a wonderful woman. I mean an angel, barely disguised as a human being. So any work I do, humanitarian work I do, is the inspiration is my ma. And then she came back one day and says, "Boys, I've got keys for the drum. I've got keys for the drum." We moved into a new house and it was brown. There was no houses. Well, there was hardly any houses. There were no roads, no shops, no nothing. Aye. Just mud. And freshly painted, you could smell the plaster, you could smell the distemper. We had an inside lavy, we had an inside coal. What did you call these things? You put the coal in inside the house. Can't you remember? Furnace? No. Like we, no, yeah. you just it was just a cupboard. I was like with a half door that you oh, the, right, the right. guys you tip all the coal in. Aye, like, kind of same thing as it was a, a coal ship. bunker. Like, it's a ship. Aye, 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 a coal aye. bunker, but it was inside your house. Right. Aye. So, what was that like? Obviously moving because I know obviously there would be. Glasgow was kind of rough um, all the way through. It's always been a kind of rough city, but so moving through that kind of rough area to Drumchapel, did you see, was there a big difference in kind of class with the people there? Or No, no difference in class. We were all working class <clears throat> and we'd all been moved out of the aging tenements in the city centre and moved out to the housing schemes, you know, like Castle Milk and Easter House and all that. 
the post-war in industrial estates. Uh, but it was a, a wonderland. Aye. We had fields, we had coos, we had sheep, we had wheat fields, we had burns, we had places to play, trees to climb. It was fantastic. We were never in, never in. Do you think? Fantastic um, place to grow up. For the first, from then until about 10 or 12, it was a great place to grow up. And then trouble began to start. Because in the beginning, people looked after their uh, their gardens. My Aye. man died. They had a wee bit out of the back court. They grew tatties, they grew onions, they grew carrots, they grew tomatoes, they grew lettuce and cabbage and everything. My mum would say, run down and bring us up some tatties for dinner, son. <laughs> it was fresh, just out the ground. Brilliant. But then after about 10 years or something, it just kind of went tits up in a way, which is a shame. Because Drumchapel's obviously kind of a rough area now. Um, and obviously we, we speak about this, uh, I've spoken about this a few times, but obviously in, the, in prison, like there's a lot of people, who, I've met a lot of people with Drumchapel, but... Um, Never MD for like Bears Den or never MD for Jordan <laughs> Hill or anything like that. Do you know what I mean, Davey? Yeah. Uh, so, obviously, for moving for the kind of drum chat, how did you end up kind of getting into acting and stuff? How did that come about? Well, I, I failed everything at school. I got kicked out of school at 16. So I packed a little bag and went hitchhiking around Scotland. Then I came back, my dad says, Right, you've got to start. Mandy, he was an electrician in a steel yard up in Possil, uh, steel, uh, steel roofing company. And, uh, and he said, you got to start Monday. I said, what do you mean you got to start Monday? He said, you start Monday, we need the fucking money. <laughs> so I started as an apprentice template maker amongst a boy amongst, what, 1,500 men, wage slaves, hard-working, hard-drinking men who were just wage slaves. Uh, and I did that for two years. And then I walked up, my unconscious took me up the steps. I had to get a bus into town mm -hmm. to change and then go out to the drum. I got a bus into town and walked up the steps of the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama. Up there, bust through the registrar's door and a voice says, I want to be an actor. <laughs> and I thought, who said that? And I thought, there's only me and, the, and the, the, uh, the woman behind the desk. And that was it. So obviously you've, got, you've had an amazing career. Um, was, there a, was there a class difference between that? In that in drama school and stuff like that, David was a uh, but no, yeah, in drama school, yeah, it was probably one or two working class boys, two working class people in the, my year when I went and I started in the sits. We had 24 young actors just out of drama school, and I was the only working class one, I was the only Scottish one, the rest were English and middle class, so it was a real difference. And for the first year, I thought, I really want to do this, I really want is this the world I want to be in? I didn't share their values. Uh, or anything about life. And you're still growing. I was still only a teenager. Right. You know, you're forming your political beliefs, your moral, mm -hmm. moral choices you make. Um, but I just never felt comfortable. I always felt it was going to be fun out. That imposter syndrome, that lasted for about 30 years or something. I'm going to be fun out. Aye. Because it's no for the likes of us. But in those days, Sean, you didn't get an awful lot of working class actors coming into the industry. No. In a sense, it was during the 60s that people, working class people really began to come into the industry mm -hmm. in a big way and go to drama school and stuff. And because a, industry was fucked. You know, I mean, when, I, when I was a teenager, you had a choice of jobs, you did, you know, whereas, you know, 10 years later, young people didn't have those choice of jobs. So it was it was easier for them to say, hey, I want to go to drama school. I want I, to be a musician. I want to be a singer. I was always all trades, wasn't it? Everybody, mm -hmm. you, needed, like, you, you needed a trade behind you. And there was obviously a kind of religious... Um, kind of division as well back then, wasn't there? Like, a, was that, was, did, did you see any of that? At, at I drama? didn't really was see it? any of that. I mean, I was born into a Prodi family, a lapsed, seriously lapsed Prodi's. <laughs> they never went to church or anything. But my dad was a Patrick Thistle supporter. He hated sectarianism and bigotry. Aye. My granda, 
on my my mother's side, he was a watty. He was a wee blue nose. Oh my God, he was a wee blue nose, really, really embittered. And me and my brother, we one hug my neighbor, we stood up and sang Wild Rover, an <laughs> innocent folk song. And he thought it was an IRA recruiting song. He went red for the neck up, get rid and rid and rid. Steam was coming out of his ears, and he barred us for his house for two years. Couldn't go, into, couldn't go to my granny's house for two years. He was a windy cleaner. He cleaned the he cleaned the windies in Rock Hill Hospital, and he used to start a new year at one end of the hospital. It took him a whole year to get around all the windies. Wow, that's a lot of windies. That's a lot of windies. <laughs> so, um, so what? Just kind of one of your big roles that um, I kind of obviously want to talk about was Jimmy Boyle and A Sense of Freedom. Amazing film. Uh, I loved it. It's obviously a kind of classic in the prison. Everybody everybody loves it. How did that come about? How did that kind of come about to play that, Davey? Well, when I left drama school, I spent years at the Glasgow Sits uh, playing Hamlet twice, Lady Macbeth, Nijinsky, Troilus, all these brilliant classical leads. And then Giles Havergal, who was the artistic director, was asked to go along with the special unit as part of the arts therapy. That's where they give somebody gave Jimmy Boyle a lump of clay and he turned it into a sculptor. Mm -hmm. you, know, you give people a creative release and it can change the whole, the whole course of their lives. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd go along with Giles every week and we'd do improvisations with these guys who'd been starved, kept naked, covered in their own shit in cages up in Peterhead and places, prisons like that. So they had no sense of social grace or social behaviour. So uh, we did improvisations with them and for just about chatting to a lassie in a cafe, chatting to a guy, in a, a guy in a pub. How do you, how do you converse with people? Aye. Uh, when you've been, you know, Jimmy alone was kept in solitary confinement for two years against all the rules and regulations of Aye. the uh, present authorities own, in this country. Oh, no, it does. And in Europe, you know, know, unheard of. So then you're releasing somebody for, for that semi-naked, isolated state going, boom, hey, there's people. Mm -hmm. How do I talk to them? How do I behave? Totally. I think when you, if you look at the psychology behind that, um, if you put a bear or a dog in that, you put you cage them up within a couple of months, mm. they go insane. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. um, there is no difference between human beings, I don't think. Uh, but obviously that part, that role that you played, Jimmy Boyle was obviously a kind of controversial figure at that time. How did the the media react to that? Was there a big kind of with the day event to say about it? Everybody was against the movie, and it took one man. It was um, uh, and I'm going to forget Jeremy Isaacs, who the man who set up Channel Four in the beginning. He was the one who had the idea to commission the book, went to STV, and over the head of drama in STV, uh, Robert Love, who didn't want it to be made, even inside the industry, they didn't want it to be made. He went to the head of uh, of STV, the managing director, and said, "We've got to do this." So we made it. Every single newspaper in Scotland was against it. I mean, the Daily Record would run, you know, editorial saying this shameful film should not be allowed to be shot in the streets of Glasgow, blah, 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 blah. I had reporters sitting outside my flat in Mary Hill all the time we were shooting it. They would follow me, they would follow us to locations. We would turn up at, say, uh, Springburn Borough Hall <clears throat> with legal permission to get into the court scene. It'd all be padlocked, chained up, two cops standing outside the door, refusing his entry. And then the whole day would be spent, Jeremy Isaac would sit in the caravan, the production caravan, and send lawyers' letters back and forth to him and the council saying, we've got legal permission to enter this building, what, you do, what you're doing is wrong, blah, 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 blah. So it was like a battle the whole way through. Two o'clock in the morning, we're filming in Shettleson, in the middle of a gas site, there's no tenements anywhere. Just me and my gang in the street. The camera's on one side of the street and we're on the other. 
fire engine, me, 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 pulls up right between the camera and us, just sits there for half an hour. Why? With a siren on? There's no a fire within 100 fucking miles of where we were. Did they have the siren on? Or aye, did I? Aye, aye. That's, that's outrageous. It just shows the... I mean, sense of freedom to film about, um, it's not, I mean, it's not, there's no glamorising crime in it. No, I mean, there's, there a, there's, no. it's not a film that you could, it's not like Goodfellas or, or a film. It's about a story about a guy that comes from a kind of impoverished, I mean, I'll let you tell like where, where the story comes from. But, um, so what, what, this, what was the kind of story behind Jimmy Boy? I know it was kind of... It was an impoverished. It was for the Gorbals, wasn't it? Aye, it was for the Gorbals. Aye, but I mean, if you if you if you grow up in the Gorbals in poverty, what chance have you got to break out there? You become a footballer, you become aye. an actor, you become a rock star, or you become a gangster. He became a gangster. Aye, and he became an uh, you know an enforcer for you know money lenders and all the rest. It pretty ruthless. Uh, I imagine he was loved and he was hated in equal measure. But it was his way of breaking out, his way his way of expressing himself, aye. and saying I'm more than this. And he turned out to be more than that. Of course he did. Aye. I think that's um, a lot. You find a lot, especially with um, the guys, some of the guys army in prison who were like in about organised crime and guys you would read about in newspapers and all that. Um, they've always got a, a lot of them have got a lovely side to them. A lot of them have got that bad, a bad side to them as well. But most of the time, if you just keep 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 away from them, or can I just keep it at a kind of friendship level? They're fine with that. It's, aye, it, there is that code of honour amongst thieves, amongst gangsters, aye. isn't there? Oh, aye. Definitely. And you know, and it works, and it's a hard code. It's a good code. It's a moral code. People don't don't believe it, but there is. But I think sense of freedom showed what can happen if you if you if you treat somebody like a human being. I think that's what the film shows. Mm -hmm. It shows that if you show, um, even just let somebody, as you say, express themselves in a different way, more creatively. I think the more the most important scene in the film is at the end when he's moved to the special unit they didn't know how to cope with him he was the most violent prisoner uh, incarcerated, incarcerated in prison in Scotland and they thought he's going to kill one of us or we're going to kill him what, what are we going to do so they created the special unit um, and I think the best scene in the film is when uh, the chief nursing officer uh, wonderful, wonderful man. God, I've forgotten his name. This is going to be terrible of me. <laughs> Ken Murray. Ken Murray and, and Jimmy Ball were the two driving forces behind the special unit. Uh, and the, the scene at the end where he comes in, I had just arrived and I got a parcel and he hands me a pen knife and walks out the Peter and leaves him with a pen knife. He goes, what the fuck's this? Somebody's just give me a knife. It was an officer. Then he begins cutting open his parcel in slow motion, doing, and then... I think his music comes in. And that's a brilliant moment. That's the moment of his liberation, Aye. of his freedom. Somebody trusted me enough to give me a knife Aye. and know that I'm not going to use it against them. Aye. I think, obviously, the, the special unit was controversial in many ways, but some there was so many success stories for the, mm -hmm. the, the for the special unit. Um, did you get to go into it, David? Did, did I, you, was in, did, I was an official visitor for seven years until I made a sense of freedom and then the Home Office banned me. Because it was too dangerous. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, so you, you've been in there seven years. I mean, get up regularly, twice, at least twice a week. I'd go up to talk to them all. I'd spend. I remember spending time. I was playing Hamlet, rehearsing Hamlet at the sits. I went into Larry Winter's cell, and Larry was a, an extraordinary IQ of 145 or something. Really, okay. really bright, bright man. And he says, "Davy, just me and him and his Peter." And he goes, "Sit in your ass. I'll tell you about Hamlet." And he gives me the psychological insight into that <laughs> man's working. Brilliant, better than any theatre director ever could, Aye. or any Shakespeare expert. 
So obviously, like looking back and seeing the way the prison system is now, we were talking the other day, just I was talking to James Docherty on a podcast the other day, and we were basically saying about um, bringing a kind of rehabilitation kind of setting to prisons, um, which probably a special unit kind that of is. should have been done 50 years ago. I know. Sean. I know. Rehabilitation is meant to be part of the penal ethos, isn't it? Aye. Well, if you look at their value system, their value system is, you can go on the website and check it, their value system's like, I can't remember, but it's like integrity, um, communication, uh, everything that's no, basically. And the way I describe it, and I describe it quite a lot less, is prison is like, um, if you're outside, see like your social behaviours and your social norms, you need to flip that to realise how toxic prison can be. And violence is celebrated in prison, mm -hmm. drug taking celebrated in prison, um, other aspects that you, would, you wouldn't you would have outside is, are all celebrated in prison. And there's nobody shown any, any different. So you're getting, you're just churning guys out and some guys are coming out worse. Most of the time guys are coming out worse now. Aye, the short term offenders come ah, out, I think, for sure. And I think during COVID, obviously, that kind of proved they were able to release X amount of prisoners because of COVID. Um, because people that were incarcerated, they released because of obviously the dangers of COVID. So they were able to like half the prison population, like overnight. So they people clearly weren't they that much had. A danger a to danger society, to eh? society they or they wouldn't have been released. So it just shows you like these these uh, short-term sentences are kind of nonsense. They don't really make sense, if, if you know what I mean, like in any way. Um, but obviously taking them, kind of taking you back. So what was your kind of, what was kind of the best moment you, that, you, that you seen then in the, in the special unit, Davey? What was your kind of... Just men releasing their creativity. I mean, Jimmy became a sculptor. Larry Winters, he wrote uh, he wrote poetry, he wrote songs, he played music. Uh, they, they, all, they all had a creative outlet. Even two of them, uh, their creative outlet was cooking. Aye. They could go out shopping. Aye. My president was to bring it back and they could cook. You know, I remember the famous Gorbo salads. I used to look forward to it. It's a brilliant <laughs> salad that they made Aye. in there every week. And they took great joy in it. And that was their creative outlet. It's cooking for the first time in their lives. Mm. I know, it's just showing just people. The, and the political energy, you know, the political th thoughts that were going on, you know, challenging the status quo, questioning uh, all levels of politics was great. I mean, I used to say that I learned more from going in there than they got from me going in. You know, I, I came back empowered Aye. and uplifted by having spent time with them mm -hmm. um, because of what limited resources they had, they were making the most of it. No, an extraordinary place. I think the great sadness was, with A, when they closed it down, there was not the political will to keep it going and there was not the money. Because if you stand up in the hustings and say you want to be elected to parliament and you're going to, uh, and you advocate penal reform, they're going to go, fuck off. I know. What would the cost of living? What would the price of my mortgage? What about this, that, and the next? I can't get a job. I know. You know, it's a, it's a no-brainer. This is kind of... You're on a losing wicket. This is kind of obviously that this this podcast is all about. It's kind of trying to highlight this and kind of try, try to show, get that kind of, the public kind of back on some sort of kind of level where they they can see or even kind of have a wee bit of empathy or a wee bit of compassion for some of the most um, damaged people that 
society has. And I know that people deserve to go to prison. I know that. I'm not trying to say mm -hmm. people do people do bad things and I'm not trying to say, but there's also a lot um, a huge aspect of background trauma, addiction that is kinda of wheeling Where this does forward. All crime come from, Sean, it comes from poverty. I know. That's the bottom line. Totally. If you're poor and you're desperate, you're going to resort to crime. You're going to rob a bank. You're going to hit an old lady over the head or whatever, steal her handbag. That's the reality. Eradicate poverty and you eradicate 99% of crime. Totally. Oh, I totally agree with you. And um, sometimes, I mean, obviously, it's quite, sometimes you go like to say, do they want to change it? Because you go, the jobs that are in it, right, that you've got, like, police, you've got lawyers, you've got judges, you've got mental health nurses, you've got addiction nurses, you've got massive third sector. See, if you were to eradicate crime overnight, there is a huge element of employment that go into that. So you sometimes go, is, is, is the world, is it, are, we, are, we, are we conditioned that the working class, we need that impoverished, we need these impoverished places, which is sad, but... Do you think that's a possibility? Do you think that's what some like the the, the so it's a bigger picture that they're they're creating the poverty they're creating the poverty to keep them on work. Aye, to creating the poverty. No, 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 not to keep them on work, but no really wanting to eradicate it because they need the working class and then they need the bad guy to have their penal system running, which keeps a lot of jobs and keeps a lot of people in elite positions like your judges and stuff. Maybe I hadn't thought about it on that level, Sean, but you might be right. It's something that I always look at and go, why are they not trying to, like, what, what, why can they not go to, like, Bears Den and go, right, what's happening here? Why is it different? What, like, and you'll see a lot of youth clubs, you'll see a lot of this. And then I know that you can, people have tried and people, but you go into some places in, like, Rikese, there's nothing, nothing, like, absolutely nothing. And you're like, what does he expect these boys to do? They've got no money, they've got... Nothing, and you're you're just they're, they're as soon as they get in gangs, they're going to follow the leader, and the leader nine times out of ten is the best fighter and mm -hmm. the one that can control the the thing. That's what it's like when you're a wee guy. Do you know what I mean? Um, no, I just think it's quite sad. I think it's it's, it's sad when you look at the, the and, and obviously we've spoke about Malawi, um, which is I know is kind of close to your heart, Davy. We spoke about their kind of sense of community and how there's no much crime well, there. Well, the, the sense of youth justice, it exists on each community. We work uh, with a, a 10 different, uh, a community of 15,000 people. There are 10 villages amongst the 15,000. Each one's got a chief. Now, if a young guy uh, does wrong or he's kicking off in some way, the parents will take him to the chief and the chief will give his or her words of wisdom and say, come on, clean your act up, kid, you're in trouble. If that doesn't work, they take him and the chief to the senior chief because there's a senior chief over the 10 villages. If that doesn't work, they take him to the district chief. If those processes don't work, they then hand the kid over to the cops. Aye. But 99% it works. And, the, and I've been working in Malawi since 2008. That's now, what, 12 years? Aye. One kid has been handed over to the police in 12 years. Crazy. They've absorbed it amongst, amongst the community. Uh, you know, peer pressure and uh, familiar pressure and all the rest of it. But then again, you hinted at it earlier, there's a great strength of, you know, the strength of family and community is really, really strong in places like Malawi and and uh, Palestine, Pfft, Afghanistan, three of the you know, worst, three of the poorest countries Aye. in the world where I work. 
But that strength of family and community is really, really strong. We've lost it in this country. We've lost, we've lost the soul of this country somewhere down the line. Oh, I agree with you. There's, 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 um, there's no compassion. There's no. Um, a guy told me a sad story the other day. I can't remember if it was, it was James Doherty. Um, told me a sad story the other day. He said um, there was a guy committed suicide uh, in San Francisco. He was over in America doing work with, with guys, and um, the guy basically had wrote. <clears throat> uh, on a bit of paper, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to walk up to the the whatever bridge it is, is it silver hanging bridge or Golden Gate Bridge? Golden Gate bridge. Um, and I'm going to fling myself off that. If somebody smiles at me or says hello on the way there, I won't do it. <sighs> and he killed himself. He died. Nobody smiled. Nobody smiled. I looked on. And you just you. You kind of go, I didn't you like, and and walking through Glasgow, I I feel like I, I walked through with my partner Fiona and stuff like that, and she's always kind of, I mean, she's she's got a massive heart as well, do you know what I mean? But um, sometimes I'll go and speak to a footballer in a rush, and I I'll see somebody and I'll go and give them a fag, and she will be like, Sean, come on, we need to hurry up, and I'm like, I know, I know, but I, and I'll I'll be talking to this homeless guy, and then. Fiona will end up talking end up talking to this guy for like five, ten minutes, do you know what I mean? We're in a rush. But just the whole thing. But that eh, would have made his day. Aye. It does. Just stopping and talking to him. You can see it in the 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 glow. And now you walk through Glasgow, every single doorway has got somebody sitting sleeping in it. It's so and everybody's just walking by. There's, people are people, homeless people are dying in this city every year. I know. This is meant to be a big hearted city. I know. And you've got people with a billion pound in a bank account. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's sad. It's, it's so sad. But what do you think the government could do to kind of change change that, David? What They'd rather keep poverty. It's a no-brainer. I, I, oh, I totally agree with you. How do we go about that? Oh, I don't know. I'm not a politician, Sean. <laughs> I don't know. Can you, can you tell me no, how you'd rather keep poverty? No. Then don't ask me because I haven't got a fucking clue. <laughs> no, I know. I mean, I'm the one standing up in Parliament saying, you know, let's do this, let's do that. You know, they're a bunch of, uh, they're just a bunch of wasters. I know. That Rishi Sunak, he said the other day, I've never had a working class friend. And he's running the country. Do you know what I mean? It's, oh, it's bizarre. But, um, so I'll take it to your own kind of charity, Davy Spirited. Can you tell us a wee bit about Spirited? Well, I started it because the world's going to hell in a banana skin and I think it's incumbent in every single one of us to do what we can to make it a better place. So I started off, we run projects in Scotland, Afghanistan, eh, Palestine and Malawi, feed 2,000 kids a day in Malawi, got a women's training workshop, built a school extension, um, run two mobile clinics in the Hindu Kush mountains in Afghanistan that I look after about 45 isolated communities, prison groups, women's groups, a uh, small school for 200 kids. The school in Malawi, by the way, are, are, are graduates. Now, it, I sat down with the 10 chiefs in 2008 and said, they're just illiterate peasant farmers. If the, if the rains come, they can grow maize and feed their kids. If it doesn't come, if there's floods or droughts, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, it goes tits up. So I said, how can we help you improve your human and natural resources in partnership with Spirit Aid? And they said, feed our high school kids. High school in Africa is not compulsory and it has to be paid for. Right. You pay eight quid a term, maybe it's 36 quid a year in a bartered economy. They don't have that. that. So a lot of kids, 
leave and go and work in the tea and coffee plantations for slave labour wages. And that's them for life. I mean, it's a horrific existence. So we started a lunch for maize and beans and vegetables. When we started at the school row, was about 200 kids. After two, three weeks, the school row went up to 500 because the kids were coming back off the tea plantations. They were getting a meal. They were continuing their education. Now we've got something like 70-odd. The graduates are 70-odd um, nurses. We've got 20-odd midwives. We've got a midwife manager. We've got engineers. We've got lab technicians. We've got uh, police and army officers. It's been a huge success story. And that costs about 13 quid per child per year. And you say you're not a, an, a, an amazing human being? <laughs> No, but listen, David. This is the, this is what <clears throat> you've you've been quite lucky with in life, and this is what we need. We need more people to give back. Aye, the world needs heroes, no arseholes. Aye, I want to print T-shirts saying the world needs heroes, no, or the world needs heroes, no politicians, one or the other. Aye, um, probably make a fortune. We do. We need heroes everywhere. Somebody's, and it, you know, you don't have to go to war torn countries like Afghanistan or Palestine to work to help folk. You can do that in your own street, your own community. So you say you and Fiona stop and talk to a homeless person in the street. That's like a million dollars to them. I know. And it's um, obviously... It's the fact that somebody cares. Somebody takes time to say, are you okay? How can I, I help you? How are you doing? I know. And it's the same in prison. Um, so many people in prison that are... Uh, that have not got any family, that have got... No friends outside, um, addicted to drugs, and then they get kicked out with seventy pound. <clears throat> the first thing they go to do is buy drugs, and then they'll get. I mean, I know guys that have got out for tours, legit, uh, literally got out for tours, and just came back in because they don't feel safe outside. They can't cope. They, they just go like, oh god, like, <clears throat> and it's so sad um, to watch. And as you says, looking at Malawi, who I, who I don't know, like, but I would probably say is probably one of the, the poorest countries in the world. Aye, aye. Um, and then look, look what happens when you just show they, you give them a wee back, a wee bit of money, and look what they do with it. And look at what we they have. See them. I mean, that was thirteen million pound night for that cycling uh, thing that's in Glasgow now. Thirteen million. Thirteen million, and think what, what could spirit do with thirteen million. I don't object to that as much as I object to spending six billion pounds on on uh, on huge aircraft carriers no, no. that are not built for fisheries protection around our coast, Sean. They're built to generate imperialist wars around the world. So I mean, you've got uh, one one of our aircraft carriers. I mean, we can't afford the airplanes to go on them. I mean, that isn't that stupid. <laughs> but uh, and even if we do, we go ask the Americans permission to fire them. But each aircraft carrier is has more firepower than most of the countries in the world. That's the truth. In that one aircraft car, we get two of them. I know. What is it? Now, what, what do we need them for? I know. Why do we need that firepower that can defeat the most countries in the world? Who are we under threat from? I know. I think when you look at, obviously everybody's got different political views and all that, and you need to kind of be careful. Well, well you don't, you shouldn't need to be careful the way the way you think, but um, at me, certainly, I, I, I've seen... When I, in my work, I see a lot of soldiers coming out of work who have been in prison, who have went to war to, war, Afghanistan, Iraq, done a tour, won't talk about what they've seen. Mm-hmm. It's, that, it's, that, it's that bad, they won't talk about it, so they can't open up 
So that's all just canned up inside. They're using substances to dull that out. Then when they're under the substances, it's just anger that's coming out because mm -hmm. that's what they're projecting. <clears throat> and then before and you know it... betrayed. I've and they really Dumped. betrayed. Really betrayed. It's like the amount of times that's all that. It's, it's kind of all they say. I mean, the fact that... We, who was it? Who's the guy who does... Um, oh, what's his name anyway? The, the, who started uh, Help for Heroes. Aye. We have to start a charity to Aye. help the armed services that have fought on our behalf, whether we agree with it or not. No, I know. That's a joke. The I government know. should be looking after them. Well, I remember, I don't know the cat, the guy done Fahrenheit 9-11. I think it was Michael Moore. Um, he went over to America. Obviously, he was under stays in America, but he was in, he went to kind of Congress and stuff like that, and he stood outside Congress, and he was just saying to all the politicians there, is your son fighting in Iraq? Mm -hmm. And it, like, they were, none of them? No, no, no. Like, he's like, why don't you go? Like, and they were all saying, like, just ignoring them. But then when you go to the kind of, like, the Bronx and the kind of, California, the poor bits. There's people walking about, like army, trying to recruit young people to go over to these places and basically, that. I, honestly, it was only a couple of weeks ago. The guy said there was a soldier in there, didn't really talk much, and he said <clears throat> they taught me to be a killing machine, and then just left me. And I was like, I says, oh, I says, what do you mean they taught you to be a killing machine? He went, I, just exactly what I said, mate. But he was kind of a, a wee bit aggressive, so I just kind of let him. I went, all right. I says, I, I says, obviously we do CBT work. I'm not interested in that. I just, I, I, and I'm like, I don't even know where to start with this guy here. Like, I, I really didn't. He kind of took me off guard a wee bit. Years and years ago, I saw a really powerful American documentary with the guys that fought in, in Vietnam. And you remember the My Lai, My Lai massacre? Aye. Well, I mean, I can't remember. They killed dozens of villagers. And this guy, big black American soldier, he said, I saw two people running across a field, uh, not one person with a bag in their back, and I shot them, and it was a mother with a child. And he said, I've never gotten over that. And he said, look, and this was years after the war, and then the camera pulled back, he said, pull back. He sat in front of his coffee table. His coffee table was just covered in medicines of all kinds. He said, I take these every single day just to be able to get out of my bed and walk out my front door. Serious, serious drug addict just to cope with, with the trauma he'd been through. That's, that's no help. You're turning guys into killing machines out there to kill kids and stuff like that. And and then when they come back, they're heroes, right? Which I, I've no, I'm not saying anything about individual soldiers because I'm talking about the, the army as a whole, if you mm -hmm. know what I mean. Um, but I don't see the difference why they would expect anybody to be less damaged or less traumatised. If that makes sense, like why a guy out it does. I mean, I don't know how uh, Joe Biden's not traumatized. He's just shipping uh, cluster bombs to Ukraine. Now, I've seen cluster bombs that work in Afghanistan. They're brutal. They explode in hundreds and hundreds of bits of fragmented metal that can cut through concrete. They can just slice through a human body and reduce it pulp in, in split seconds they paint them yellow which are the colors of the the aid packages they drop from the air so kids run you know they can lie on exploded in the earth kids run up go oh, it's an aid pack an aid package Woof. and then they've gone 100 over 100 countries the world now ban ban uh, cluster bombs including britain joe biden's just sent shipments over to ukraine putin is now going to say is now saying right we're going to use cluster bombs they're the most brutal indiscriminate means of killing that we've ever invented with the, I've got, I mean, I, I, I kind of hesitate to go into my political views because I've got a lot of kind of ways of thinking about 
the what's going on in Russia and Ukraine and that. And I just think it's so sad, the whole thing. But um, They've lost half a million men. I know. Russia's lost 300,000, Ukraine's lost 200,000. That's just the soldiers. And this that's, is, not the, that's not civilians. It's, it's like... It's like elite people playing Risk or something, like a computer game. It's mm. like, do you know what I mean? But the only way it's human life is if they don't recognise the human life that's actually getting torn apart. And all stages, and, I, and I, I think somebody told me that in Ukraine now, the guys are getting made to, I'm sure they're getting made to fight, like, and their wives and that are getting shipped out or something, but they're getting made to fight. Oh, they, they, the men can't leave the country. Aye, they haven't been able to since the beginning. No, no, no. They've never been able to leave the country. They have to stay and fight. I mean, it's just, it's like, how do you get these people, like, how can you say Tony Blair, right? Like, how can you say, look at some of the people they've put in prison. Some of the people that I know that are in prison, I've seen guys getting put in prison. I've seen guys getting five year for a 50 pound bag of heroin, right? But then Tony Blair. Works free. Admittedly told us that there was... He lied. He lied, lied for three years. And Him then, and Bush lied for three years. And how many people died in that over a million? And there's... You should read Neil Mackay's book, The War on Truth. That's the aye. three years leading up to the Iraq War, how Blair and Bush lied through their teeth. Aye. I'll definitely read it. Obviously, I'm, um, it's one of the things I've always looked into. And it, I know it's... It's the whole thing is... It's... The whole thing's just stinking into it. The whole thing, like that, when you look at even with Biden and now, I don't even think he really know really knows what's going on. I don't. I think there's other people pulling the strings with him. Oh, there always are. There's there's a higher force playing, but I mean that's going into a whole new realm of stuff. But um, so I'll take I'll, I'll kind of take it back a wee bit to kind of like so what's kind of your what's probably like a, a moment that stood out for you. Um, in Malawi, like we spirited and stuff, which are like a, an amazing something that st we story that, like, it's just been something that was amazing. Every day is full of amazing stories. I remember talking to a wee lassie when we started the feeding program. Now, because the kids through malnutrition and vitamin deficiencies, they don't grow at the normal rate. So this wee lassie, who might have been thirteen, she looked about eight, and she was lying under a tree. The kids would go and get their lunch and sit under the tree for shade, and. She was just lying over, and I wonder if she was okay. And they can speak a bit of English. I said, are you okay, honey? She said, yeah. Now I have food in my tummy. Now I feel safe. Now I can go to sleep. Oh. Before that, she never felt safe enough to go to sleep because oh. she had food in her belly. She could sleep. Another story is recent. I've been out in Malawi recently because they were hit by a, a hurricane, the third one since Christmas. And it wiped out like 65 families and stuff in our villages. And one young lassie, she was away, she had to board in her high school because they're spaced quite far away from the villages. So a lot of kids have to travel. Aye. They stay in dormitories. She couldn't get back to her village for three weeks, got back, found 65, her whole village was wiped out, absolutely wiped out. House had gone, she lost her mother, her father, a brother and her two sisters. And she jumped into the raging river and committed suicide. Because <sighs> there was nothing to live for. Now, people think that's a bit extreme, but... In Africa, if you lose your parents, the rest of the community will bring you up. You're adopted by the rest of the community. So you always have people and relatives around you. Aye. Everyone had been wiped out. So, so she didn't know. Everyone she knew on earth had been wiped out by that storm. So who was she turned to? It's going to go to the next village or the no, village no. over the hill. So she thought, my life's over. That's so sad. It's, it's just... Um... 
But what strikes me, you ask me, it's just their constant dignity in the face of horrific circumstances and the effects of our of our effect on on the climate emergency that's just ripping that country apart. They they produce less than one percent of global warming, but they're in the receiving end of all our excess uh, living. Um, but they're, they're they're humble, they're happy. Am I right in saying that we people. we we can? I remember I've studied politics for three years, right? But not that I can remember logic, but I know there was something that amazed me um, that like places like Malawi, America, China, Russia, whoever, UK, we buy there. Like, you know, every country gets a kind of um, like a carbon emission mm. like allowance. We buy other Aye. countries. Then we so send they can them. keep destroying the planet. Aye. Aye. Then we send them all the nuclear, all nuclear waste and all that. We send them, put it, dig up their soil, mm. put it on their soil and buy it. And you're just like... China's bought up huge tracts of land in Africa to grow food for the Chinese, not for the Africans. Is I bet it's all fenced off and everything and stuff. No, so really. Can... I mean, you're not going to go in and carve down a, a field full of wheat or <laughs> maize or whatever. <laughs> no. Um... No, it's um, it's just... It's... But what, what, what we could, with the sounds of it, is bring back some of the values that that, uh, that you see in Malawi and stuff and that, that you talk about. But how do you bring them back, Sean? Somebody will be like, so let's bring them back. When you buy them off the shelf? No, they have to be engendered from birth. You know, whatever you're, you know, you're born, it's stamped in your arse. You know, poor, you know, working class, whatever. Mm -hmm. We've got to change all that and it's not a case of just bring it back. It has to, I think it has to be taught, it has to be shown, it has to be, has to be examples of how it can work. I th I th it would take a, totally take a couple of generations. I mean, I've got great hope in, in, the, in young people. I've got great, great faith in the young people of the world. They're, they're going to save this planet and get it back on the track again. But they've got a tough, tough job. Tough job. But I think Definitely. for my generation, we're fucked. No, I, I, I think, um, I mean, Lord, obviously, uh, Lord Turnbull, he done a thing there. And I think it's, it's a great thing what he done. But um, he basically put a kind of an age ban. Uh, no, it wasn't a ban, it was like a kind of guideline for under 25s. Do not put them in prison. It's a last resort. Last resort, put them in prison. Mm -hmm. Don't put them in under 25. A lot of people kicking off, oh, that's terrible. Why, why shouldn't they be doing this? But prison is so damaging. Mm. So, so damaging. And um, I don't know, we, like, I, we, we, me and Fiona are really big fans of kind of Gabber Matty. And he actually talks about um, James Docker went in great detail the other, the other day, but he 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 kind of talks about see um, right for the womb, right even if as a fetus, mm -hmm. the baby gets stressed. See if it's stressed out parents. So the the kind of capitalist kind of way that we're kind of living in the society we're living in the now, so many everybody's stressed out. Everybody's like there's there's so many people just trying. to meat ends meat mm -hmm. do you know what i mean um i mean your wonderful charity is 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 doing stuff at, but it's at a home as plaster. well it's just a sticking plaster i know I, I agree with you i think this generation you need to kind of probably write off and hope that what we're teaching the kids and stuff they know is the right stuff that we're kind of going through and 
but I, I, sometimes I think they, they 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 try and hijack that as well. They hijack the education system, and then they start bringing in stuff to try and hang it. But I just I think that you can go to new different platforms now. You can go to kind of the internet and stuff like that for news. I mean, the Daily Record, that's you're not going to get the news for the Daily Record. They don't tell you anything. I don't think I've seen a positive story in the Daily Record. No, you don't get them. Um, or the Herald. Uh, any, I like. I mean, you 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 did just read that, and you you're, you're like, I don't buy them anymore. But you just read them, and you're like, it's doom and gloom. It's like poverty. Next page, murder. Next page, rape. Next page, crime rise. Next page, addiction. And you're like, you end up reading it. You're just like, what's the point? Do you know what I mean? Like, you're, and I think um, I sometimes think that's they're meant. It's, it's meant to do that. It's meant to. Can I bring them out doing these papers? They and don't stuff want like us that. too educated. Exactly. They don't want us to get above our station. Exactly. They might ask questions. Aye. It's kind of like in prison when you go to education and um, it's just, it, it's so, so sad to watch um, some some guys to do peer mentoring and stuff like that. And you would go up and some guys would be working through, like, I don't know. If, like maybe primary seven, first year level stuff, maybe even lower. Um, it'd be, it would be like, just like spell dog, spell cat, like stuff that you would teach kids, do you know what I mean? And they're like struggling. But see, even when you used to show them a wee bit, because obviously they're embarrassed as men, kind of do it. Mm -hmm. So you, could, you, you show them a wee bit of kind of humility and go, no, no, it's listen, man, it's... Sean, 20% of the population of this country, most countries, most of the Western countries, 20% of our populations are functionally illiterate. That means they have the reading and writing skills of an 11-year-old. Wow. 20%. In the, in the UK? In the UK and the States, right across Europe. Wow. We're, we're, us in America are the worst. That's, about, that's, a, that's actually quite a shocking statistic. A reading and writing skill of an 11-year-old and you're a 35-year-old man. Or a... 65 or a woman or whatever that's tough oh definitely it's 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 really high it's a fifth um but well, well, well i'm going to take you into shooters now david because that's obviously where i was i got the pleasure to meet you um working in adiwell which was an amazing project i was just so gutted that never got to take half and never got to do it again but adiwell's fault uh, so listen adiwell Adiwell's fault for a lot of things, you know what I mean? There's no, it's not a great prison. Um, can, can you tell us how shooters come about and stuff, Davey? How did shooters well, come about? Well, just because I've always, all my life, I've been involved in, in work in prisons. I had to start with the special unit. I would take rehearsals up there for productions I was doing. Uh, I would take productions up there and perform in prisons. I've always had a, an empathy for those that we lock up. So I just wanted to give them, well, Shooters is one of the first projects I started when I created Spirit Aid. I thought I wanted to give people, particularly the young people, a voice through the medium of film to express themselves. And it was natural to go into prison and give prisoners a voice and bring them out themselves in some way and challenge them in different ways. And it's been really, really rewarding. I mean, it's been an amazing. I mean, we've worked in, what, half a dozen, seven prisons in Scotland and made a made a big difference. Uh Oh, it was an no. amazing project, and I mean, it's it's just a shame that it's it it was obviously small numbers, no small, but like small compared to kind of the prison population. Mm. But we we were talking the other day about um, 
me and James Docker were talking about obviously how do you how how would you go about reforming the prison system, make it smaller, smaller units where you can kind of get interact with more people. Mm-hmm. Um, what I seen in shooters was something that I don't probably have never seen before. How good yous were at getting people to drop that prison kind of hard man mentality that you kind of get. Did you, was there anything you used in way to, like, with a method to do that? Or was it just natural to use? That's just natural. Just because, like, you know, you do a theatre job, you do a TV or a film job, and you're a company of actors, a company together. You've got to break down the barriers. You've never met them before in your life. Suddenly you're doing intimate work with them. You've, you've meant to be married to them for the last 25 years. How do you do that? You take shortcuts. You strip away the facades, you get rid of all the shit, and you get to the core, and that's when you start to build. And that's just what we did with business. Just build up that trust. We're no threat to you. We're here. We're here. We're in your side, um, and it works a treat. Aye, some of the stuff like obviously with the the slow walking. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. Have prisoners slow walking. I I would walking I would in slow motion. That, that would never happen. Acting in slow motion, reacting in slow motion. No, they were brilliant. I'd have swore doing dead that that would never happen in a prison setting. <laughs> um, but obviously, but, you see, but young David now he uses that in rehearsals when he's rehearsing uh, stage plays and stuff. Right. Still walking, so that's part of his rehearsal process. Is that just to kind of break down the kit, like so you know you don't feel stupid? Everybody or... comes in, everybody's got the stresses and strains of normal life. You come into a rehearsal room, you've got to leave all the shit behind. Aye, you can't bring that in with you. So that's just two or three minutes at the beginning, or five minutes where you just chill. It's like a meditation. Aye. It's like a mindfulness. Strip away, strip away all the garbage in your head. You're just a human being. There's a human being there. There's a human being there. There's a camera. Let's play. Aye, I know it was it was an amazing project, and obviously the work that came out was amazing as well. And it was oh, the sad that we, we couldn't even get we weren't allowed to get it out for whatever reason. And there was a lot of other stuff, but um, I mean maybe we can get to show that, and maybe at the end we could get the shooters video and maybe put it on the end. Get it, and we could maybe get that. Um, but. When we we had you obviously in the hall, Davey, right, and that was like that was funny. That was obviously like we we, we had you in the hall, and there was a lot of boys kind of at the start, um, kind of like obviously like I would never do that. I would never be involved in the the, the shooters. That I, I that's blah blah blah. Just the kind of prison mentality. How quickly did we break that down? Pretty that, quick. That was half a day. Aye, half a day, and we had people kind of. Ch- Walking up and going, hey, can I get a wee part just on and on the phone and all that? Remember, <laughs> big Dava, big Dava wanted every part that was going at the end. Um, but again, was there anything? Was that just natural again? Just, just shown right. humanity again. So it's it, just, it is literally amazing just to it's see. No rocket science. I know, isn't he? And did you ever get any kind of? Um, for the for the staff, is there ever was was there ever any problems with them? Did they have did they give you problems or anything? Only when we wanted to come back again, and they made it impossible for us to come back. Even though your deputy governor stood up at the time, they knew. Remember the female deputy governor near the tail end of you, Angela. Can you remember Halliday? And she stood up and she said, "This is the best work in prisons I have ever ever seen, and the best creative output in all my years in prison work." I mean, it was a stunning success. But then, and we were scheduled, they wanted us to come back in November. 
due to the request from the prisoners because they wanted it and it was your money, was it not? Prisoners' money Aye. was used for it. Aye. So it's the money that you all chip in Aye. for special events and stuff. So it was prisoners' money. And they said, we want shooters back and we want to do slow walking. They all talked about slow walking. Aye. And it was scheduled for the November. We didn't hear anything. And it got closer and closer and closer. And eventually I wrote them a letter and I said, guys, if we're starting in November, it'd be pretty quick. And I'm dealing here with a lot of freelancers. And if it's not happening in November, they've got to look for other work. Well, well, we never said we'd go ahead. I got this terrible letter back from him and I thought, oh, fuck, there you go. Stopping it. Yep. What do you think the reasons were? No idea. Do you think it was down to, obviously, because I, I don't know if it was the Daily Record again, that they wrote something about? I don't think they did. Did they know? No, no, it wasn't anything to do with publicity. So do you think it was just down to money? That woman with the blonde hair. Who Angela. Runs, who runs the education. Oh, I. I know who you're talking about. Just make that. There was, there was absolute. I mean, that 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 project. In a way, see if you you could get in there two or three times, you could have probably taught somebody how to do that program. Oh. Like you could have actually taught prisoners how to do that course. Do you know what I mean? And, and then give the prison that. And obviously, I'd say two or three times you could have done that. And then you could have had like mentors for shooters mm -hmm. that would have been able to kind of run that program within the prison. If it was done to money or whatever, I don't know. But it usually is done There was money enough the money prison. there for us, Sean, enough money for the second gen. There's, 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 there's always and enough particularly money. Particularly the idea well, which is a you know, nah, better It's private, it's private yeah. running. It's, it's, I mean, it's a multi-billion pound company. Um... It's no, as you say, it's no rocket science. And it's the beauty of seeing, even for me, like people that I'd been in me five, six years and just seeing them, guys that were just, and just seeing guys doing the slow walking, doing like we Clyde and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? I Clyde the whole rest, God rest him, God rest. Obviously he's dead now and I loved we Clyde, but even guys like Clyde, you're just like, I would never have thought he'd have done that, but he loved it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely loved it. Um, and I just think it's so sad that there's nothing. They just It's as if anything good that comes out, but right, and they, they don't want it again. And I can never understand why. The things that seem to work, they don't want. And then they, they'll do these courses, which in my eyes, don't do anything like cog skills, this, whatever you want to call it. Guys are just going up and telling them what they want to hear. They're ticking boxes. Mm -hmm. Basically, what they they know, they know that you're telling lies. You know they're going to then go and tell lies. To, so it's like, what is the point? What, there's no there's no reform here at all. No rehabilitation. You're not helping anybody. Um, and then projects like shooters come in and break barriers down so quickly. And they don't want it. It's bizarre, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, we'll, we'll talk more about the... We spoke about shooters and stuff like that. Um, just to kind of talk to you about you and some of the big work you've done, David, what's your kind of what's your kind of best film you've ever done? What's your favourite film? Can you name a best film? No. Jobs are special in different ways. Jobs are special because of the people you work with the location you're shooting in, the nature of the material or whatever. I mean, I've just spent five days in Newfoundland in Canada in St. John's doing a Canadian comedy, I guess, in a Canadian uh, comedy series. I loved that. I had a brilliant six days. Aye. 
one of the best weeks of my life. I had a great time. Um, just loved it. Taboo was great. A sense of freedom was great. Uh, I enjoyed the Fisherman's Friends movies because we're just such a lovely company of okay. actors. I loved Boy in the Striped Pajamas because we, oh, we, we all became a, we all became a family. Um, but it was a good but, message. But theatre is aye, the Boy in the Striped Pajamas. Brilliant message. Interesting. A lot of the because I've spoken to a lot of the Jewish community uh, and and the survivors of the Holocaust, aye. and they've said, yeah, well, we didn't like it because it put the emphasis on the young Jewish boy and uh, the young. Um, Young German yeah, boy. the young Jewish boy and a uh, young German boy. Aye. I know the young, young Jewish boy. I said, but that was a means to bring sympathy for Aye. you know for the issue. Uh, but I can understand where they're coming from. No, of know. course, of course. No, I definitely I can see where they're coming from. But you, the the message is just that children are children, and like the, it was so sad on both sides. Like what would for for the kids? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Obviously, there was a bigger thing at play. Do you know what I mean? And I'm no trying to comment on that but it's just like children shouldn't need to experience that mm. that's um why we've got prison systems that are full and we've got the kind of society we've got the new um so even like taboo playing with like, to like tom hardy one of my favorite actors what's that like just is play like obviously i know you're used to it but what's it like just really with about these guys is it just Second nature to you, David? Um, aye, but A-listers are a funny breed. I mean, they're a lot onto themselves. They've got to live in an ivory tower. They don't really touch normal folk, and they don't really... Um, nah, they don't. They just remove themselves. That's why I've never wanted to be a star. I thought you'd just lose touch with any kind of reality. But he's a lovely guy. He belies his image. He comes on with army gear and his big macho walk and all that, and you think he's an <laughs> alpha male. But he's got very profound uh, spiritual beliefs. He carries a wee uh, angel in his pocket. He's a vegetarian, believes in reincarnation, hugs everybody every day. So in a sense, he belies that image he's got. Um, I mean, he's wired. Aye. You know, you can't imagine him sitting in his wee baby watching, you know, Spotty Dog on telly on a Saturday Aye. evening. Um, now, he's, he's driven. So who was a... I'll give you a quick... Who's, who, who's, your, who's a the best actor that you think you've worked with? Stephen Graham. Do you know who Stephen Graham is? Is that Stephen Graham the uh, Liverpool? Ah. Ah, brilliant. Played the uh, Al Capone in... Yep. Boardwalk and that. Oh, I love Stephen yep. Graham. Stephen Graham's amazing. Stevie Graham's... He's actually done a lot of prison films, Stephen Graham, and a lot of kind of He did one that was written by uh, Jimmy, Jimmy McGovern with the... Uh, oh, I was in prison. He did just a new one coming out about women. No, he's done some really, really powerful what stuff. Was that I know when you're... Burn, burnout? No, can't remember. It was a, quite a sad film, isn't it? It was, like, it was a wee guy hung himself, didn't he? A wee guy. Uh, who was it? I can't remember. Was Sean Bean? Was there no Sean Bean in it? Aye, Sean Bean, aye, Sean Bean was there as well. Um, so obviously, what's your kind of... But to answer that question, before you go on... Theatre for me is the best of the best. Aye. There is nothing quite like being on a stage in front of a live audience and you're challenging yourself. Now, last year I did a tour of a one-man show for two months. Then I did a brilliant play at the Tron called Cypress Avenue, which is one of the most challenging and important plays written in the last 25, 30 years. Aye. And we're bringing it back to the pavilion. Now, that's stunning when you've got an audience in the palm of your hand on stage for an hour and a half, two Aye. hours, and that's nothing like it. 
Well, I was actually, I was going, I was, that was going to kind of bring me to that because it's because obviously you've done movies, you've done TV, you've done theatre. So would you say theatre's your kind of, your big love then? Would you say that's... Aye. It's the, well, it's the biggest challenge. Any proper actor will tell you theatre is where you belong. Aye. But a lot of actors wouldn't touch about a barge pole. It's too scary. Because if you make a mistake, you, you need to run with it, don't you? It's like you need, if you can't get caught up in that mistake. If you get it right the next night. Aye. Aye, aye. So, which are best? Which are, is it that the, the, that theatre show you just spoke of? Is that your favourite? Favourite? That's one of the favourites. I mean, Lady Macbeth. It was brilliant. Um, Najinsky, a player, did in uh, London with um, oh, what was his name? Jude Law. Uh, got it. The Don Theatre was brilliant. I played his father-in-law. Uh, it was a great piece. Stacked to them. I just love being on stage. No, you've done, I mean, obviously when I was researching, you're trying to kind of look, there's just far too many even mentioned, you know what I mean? But there's so much. But when I was, I was kind of, I watched Bits and Bobs, it was Weir's Way. Oh, the documentaries, Heyman's Way. Did you get to see one? Aye, how did that, I how love that? doing them, they're brilliant. If you gave me the money to make them for the next 20 years, that's what I'd do. <laughs> I'd walk around Scotland talking to folk. Aye. No, it was, but it's just, just you, Davey, just you being you into it and just being you around about Scotland. But um, did you see that as a bit of an honour, getting to that? Because obviously Wheels Way was quite a big thing. Um, so did you see, see that as a bit of an honour, getting to the Heyman's Way? Um, no, really. It was a natural progression. You know, because I did Heyman's, I did Wheels Way with David Heyman, so I retraced the steps. That was a huge success. Then STV said, right, we're doing Heyman's Way. When Sam did, they'll get somebody else. All right, was there a thing with, was there a hang in between? I, I, I mean, the first one was called On Weir's Way with David Heyman, where I traced, retraced his steps. Right, I think then I've that was, that one. And they intercut it with the original bits of Tom Weir and then me going back to talk to the same people whom he met 40 years before and all that. Right. Then it was so successful, then they come up with the idea of Heyman's Way, so I did it on my own. And that was like the, one of the top five programmes in the whole of ITV of last year. Aye. Oh no, it was it was it was brilliant. Um But did you see the but things I'm most I'm most proud of is like you see my documentary on slavery. Aye. Slavery Scotland's Hidden Shame. Now that's the thing I'm most proud of. Aye. That's a documentary. I wanted to tell that story for ten years. Can you tell us a bit about that? Because that was that was quite um quite Well Scotland's profound. built on the profits from the slave trade. Um I mean cotton, sugar, tobacco. Uh and we blamed Liverpool. We said we were in denial for 200 years. Said, no, it was the English. Liverpool that ran all the slave ships, so did Bristol, London. But what didn't come out, was, well, what came out, I brought out, was the fact that Liverpool was run by Scots families. The Scots ran the slave trade for Liverpool, wow. not for Glasgow. The Scots ran the slave trade from Bristol. We set up the banks, the insurance companies in London that funded the coffee and tea plantations and slave plantations in the Caribbean and, and the southern states. Glasgow was built on it, Edinburgh's built on it, the Industrial Revolution was financed by the profits from slavery. That's why we have a, a, you know, a network rail system across this country. Any landed estate you see with a huge big house built from the profits of slave trade, Glasgow University, you name it, look at the street names in Glasgow. I know. They're all linked to slavery. It's funny, two years ago when Scottish women played the Jamaican women at football in the World Cup or a lead-up or whatever, so there were... Uh, 11 black players and 11 white white players on the pitch. Aye. They all had Scottish names. 
Because, because if you aye. look through the Jamaican so, uh, uh, phone book, two-thirds of the names are Scottish. Because when slavery was eventually abolished, they wouldn't get their £20 per head compensation unless they named the slaves. They never named them, they just gave them numbers. So they all had to name them. So if my, my name was Alan McKenzie, I'd go, right, your name McKenzie, your name's Toll, your name's Sean, your name's David, your name's Fiona. So they were landed with these names. So now you've got all these Jamaicans who've got Scottish names. Is that, I swear I've actually seen, I've seen like Jamaican, the football team sometimes, and you'll have like Jamaican a guy flag, called like... Salt Cross. Aye, aye. So, right. And obviously Jamaica Street. But I've seen guys playing for Jamaica before, and like, like obviously I can't remember, it's like David McKay or something, and you're mm. like, like that's, that's weird. So, so you've got, you can have white people, Scots people walking around Glasgow today whose great, 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 great grandmother was a black slave and great, 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 great grandfather was a, was a slaver. That because of the, how genetics change, they're white today. You can have black people walking around Scotland whose great, 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 great grandfather was a white slaver and mother was a, a black slave. So I could, I could retrace, I? You could have a black ancestor. Right, you've made me want to go and do that uh, thing now. The the eye of three, I'd better go back there and see. Uh. Um, so any other kind of bits of work, just as we're coming up to the kind of end, Davies, is there any other kind of work um, that you would like to speak about? Because I know you've done that much. Um, I don't really like to talk about my work. I know. I'd rather I know. talk about spirit aid. You're a very humble man. That, no, it's nothing to do with being humble. Just to do with more important things in life. Aye. Spirit aid is far more important to me. I mean, I'm doing a series in, in Liverpool. I'm enjoying it. But hey, it's not going to change the world. No. It's not going to change anybody, the quality of anybody's life. No. But that trip I made to Malawi just a couple of months back after the hurricane helped keep thousands of people alive and sustain them and help them rebuild their houses and feed their kids and all that's far more important than whatever I do as, as, as an actor. So have you got any kind of projects in the pipeline with Spirit Aid that anybody watching can get, get help with? Or? We've always got projects, but not in the pipeline. We have. It's really difficult. Just We need about 150 grand a year to sustain the project. Scotland, and we deliver dozens and dozens of food parcels every week. Um, we turn on people's gas and electricity. We've got about 50 families who won't pay for fuel this winter. Uh, they're paid for by the Celtic Foundation and uh, the the Weir Group. Aye. Between them, they're paying for it, which is brilliant. We've got an emergency service. Somebody picks up the phone and says, I'm desperate. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't pay this, pay that. We'll help them. We'll sort them. So uh, where can people find this, Davey? Where can people... Is just look, just Google Spirit Aid Glasgow? I Google Spirit Aid or we've got a... a, a Thing, the Twitter page, we've got a website, really bad website, because <laughs> um, we definitely spend money on it. Um, now, the thing to do, the difficult bit is raising the money. Spending the money, I've got no problem with. I can spend money in Afghanistan effectively and wisely. I can do the same in Palestine or Malawi. It's just raising the money is really, really tough. Because people have got less disposable income no. these days. People have been more cautious because of the times we're going through. And you've just got that many people weigh money who don't care. Um, yeah, I get more money for Trump Chapel than I do for Bears Den, more money for Castle Milk than I do for Newton Mairns. I mean, that's... that right? Okay. Poor folk look after each other, rich folk look after themselves. That's fascinating. That there would be more money coming out of Because yep. um, people who are poor know what it's like to be poor. No, I, I, I totally get the concept, but it's fascinating that there's more money comes out of working class places mm -hmm. than 
the the places that you you the, the money actually is mm -hmm. where the money actually is. Um. So is there any kind of other stuff that's kind of close to your heart that you would like to just obviously coming up to the end that you would like to talk about? Just anything that's kind of happening, like um, run about, but even politics, anything that you just kind of want to go out there, Davey, anything that you want to talk no, about? No, I'm staying away from politics. I was heavily involved for a long, long time. But I was a member of the Labour Party up until the mid-1980s, and then they had an amazing annual conference the rank and file decided to eradicate our weapons of mass destruction. Unilateral nuclear disarmament. We were this was the height of the Cold War. We were going to set every other every other country in the world. We we're going to renounce our nuclear weapons. As a really really brave by the membership of the Labour Party, the rank and file. I think it was 1985-86. The leadership ignored them. Went back to Westminster tore up the resolution and put it in the bin. I just tore up my membership to the Labour Party and put it in the bin. I've never voted for them since. I've never belonged to a political party since. Um, I was, I've directed to, I was very supportive of the SNP in the beginning, in the 90s, when I directed two party election broadcasts for them and I was out in the hustings with Simon and, and Nicola Sturgeon and stuff, but I've really, I've been so, 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 so disappointed. Ultimately, the SNP have betrayed, betrayed the people of Scotland nearly as much as the Labour Party did over 50 years in power in this country. We do need, to, there needs to be somebody comes along. We, we do need saved soon because the way it's going now, I think even Labour and that are going so far right um, to try and keep up with vote, I don't know, but it's just there's, there's nobody really that you can vote for that's got that kind of humanitarian, liberal uh, outcome in it. There's 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 outlook anymore. There's nobody with that anymore. Isn't there, no, David. There's there's... Radical enough, no. And do you think it is just? I mean, I always say it's just don't they, like if, if if someday I would love to see prison reform, but who's going to vote for an MSP that goes? Nobody. No, I mean, I know nobody. Far more, far more. Well, there are things that are far more important to people than prison reform. And you look at energy stuff in that the new, and you talk about energy, and we're told that they, they, these energy companies are struggling and blah blah blah, and they're, 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 they're making billions and billions and billions biggest profits ever. And we're all struggling to put. I mean, just some. I'm sure our energy doubled. You know and we're I mean? an energy supplying country. We've got oil, we've got gas. I know. It's a joke. Or sold off, but into it. And Aye. just, I can know. It's just, yeah, it's it's so sad. But as I say, it's just getting worse. And you're looking to see the, these people that just walk about and you see that in Glasgow constantly. It's like it's just lost souls. Um, as you say, nobody says hello anywhere or anything. But like, you don't, there's just no sense of community. And I don't know if it's just been broke down bit by bit by bit. Um, I don't know. It's just, I mean, you could go on and on and on about it. Um, but no, that's it, David. For me, I just honestly, Ooh. I'd love to thank you so so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure <laughs> and uh, just an honour to call you a friend. 